X-ray. And welcome to the Beervana Show, broadcast in Portland on X-Ray FM and available anywhere on your favorite podcast service. Hi, Jeff. Hey, Patrick. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. We have a, a relatively nice sunny June day out there, which has actually been a little rare uh, for this June, so that's cool. We do. Uh, we are joining each other remotely, I should say. Um, I am in my home office. I've been uh, upgraded from the basement back to the home office now that my uh, my lovely wife is done teaching her elementary school class. Uh, so I can actually see out, which is like I can see that it's a lovely day outside. Very nice. Uh, yes, and, I'm in my home office as well, uh, and I can see out as well. Oh, how wonderful. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so we're both, we're both in our home offices. This, as we'll talk about, is uh, uh, the second part of a show that we recorded together a little over a week ago. So welcome yes. back. It's 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 the thrilling conclusion to business we began uh, a week ago. That's right. Everyone's been waiting with uh, uh, bated breath, I'm sure. In, indeed. So, anything new with you? No, not too much. My mm-hmm. life is not not super busy right now, actually, um, which is is nice. This is going to be the first summer in many summers where I don't have a lot going on, uh, which means the house will get some attention. So that's nice. <laughs> yeah. Well, now that finally the rain stopped, you, know, you get outside. Yes. And how, how are things over there in Selwood? Uh, things are things are uh, good. Uh, it's a big, giant transition from school, remote schooling to uh, summer. Uh, so we're all negotiating that. Uh, it's, you know, it seems like it would be just easy and a big sigh of relief, but, um, you know, it's, uh, we're still in, we're still in, uh, social distancing mode. So we're figuring out how to deal with friends and the kids and, and socializing ourselves. And, uh, and it's not so bad when it's nice and sunny like this, because you can be, be outside and practice good social distancing. When the rain comes, like it has over the last few days, that's when it gets more difficult for, for all of us. <laughs> right. But we're right. doing pretty good. But anyway, that's why it's fun to do things like this and talk about beer on a podcast and radio show. Indeed, <laughs> and we have a we have a uh, we we haven't introduced the topic yet, but we have a fun seasonally appropriate beer to talk about today. Yeah. All right. So let's finish this intro. Um, you are Jeff Allworth. You have authored several books, including the Beer Bible, The Widmer Way, uh, and uh, Secrets of the Master Brewers. Correct. You are Patrick Emerson. You are a professor of economics at our Oregon State University. That's right. And uh, as someone as typical in the arts and social sciences, I'm on a nine-month contract, so I'm on my summer break. Aha. Uh-huh. Starting so you, as of a couple of days ago. So <laughs> Time to let your hair down, which in this case is quite a bit you have to let down as I saw you last yeah, my hair is getting nuts, getting really too much. I'm almost ready to shave it off, but I think, and we'll get to this soon, I think I might actually be able to get a haircut pretty soon. So, you know, blue skies in our in the forecast, right? Ter- hair-wise. <laughs> <laughs> you, by the way, you gave up your pandemic beard, which is a, which is a shame and all of us lament. Well, maybe all of you do. I don't lament it. Looking in the mirror and seeing that crazy old man looking back at me with his white Santy beard. It did put about 10 years on you, yes. Yeah, it really did. All right. Well, everyone I know is back today because of uh, last week's show. Last week's show, we began uh, the first part of the Great Oregon Pilsner Taste-Off 
In yes, which, indeed. In which we sampled 16 Oregon Pilsners along with one control each from Germany and Czechia. Uh, and today we bring you the thrilling conclusion as we crown the winner, surely, of the most prestigious title in all beer. Yes. <laughs> we say modestly. I'm not. I'm, not I'm, I'm completely immodest. This is the only one that matters. All other <laughs> beer competitions are crap. Uh, every brewer aspires to one thing and one thing only. That's to be crowned champion of the great Oregon Pilsner taste off on the Beer Vana show. You know, I have to say that I have heard from a few brewers uh, who apparently have kept their eye on this. So I actually think no uh, uh, gaslighting involved. Uh, people have watched this with some interest. I think, you know, Pilsners are a style of beer that brewers take very seriously. Yeah. And uh, as they should. We ha- as they should. And we have a bunch of good ones here in Oregon. And so when you when you gather a bunch of them together and, and see which ones you like best, uh, brewers especially take notice. Um, and I hope that people who enjoy Pilsners and, and think they all taste alike will have enjoyed this and, and maybe think that they don't all taste alike based on the descriptions we've we've encountered. Uh, we've given as we encountered these beers in flights uh, of nine each. So, yeah. Yeah, as an economist, I think, I think also, it has value. <laughs> as an economist, I'll say the true value is whether we can move the market. So, all you consumers out there, you should go buy the champion in 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 great volumes, and then we can prove to the world that we matter. <laughs> or even the finalist, which we announced at the end of our last podcast. Uh, That's might, true. Per- perhaps this had a one week period of gigantic booming sales as everybody races out to get their own mini flights together so they can they can join us and i hope actually people have had a chance to taste some of these beers because some are going to be familiar to people and some not so much yeah we'll get to it soon but just to just to remind listeners we had 18 beers total 16 of those were oregon pilsners and then we had the pilsner quell and the weinstefan from from chechia and the weinstefan from germany uh so we had 18 total we narrowed those, uh, we did two flights of nine, narrowed those down to six finalists. Um, we excluded uh, explicitly the two controls, the uh, Raquel and Weinstefan from the finals. And so we ended up with six Oregon Pilsners in the finals. And today we shall discuss and tell you who was the champion. Indeed. All that coming up soon. But first, of course, the news. So the first of our two-part show was recorded uh, sitting down one day before Multnomah County was supposed to open. It didn't. Uh, today's recording, I, I'm happy to say, is one day before Multnomah County is going to open, reopen in, uh, for phase one reopening, which means bars and restaurants will be able to do uh, table service with obviously some fairly stringent rules in place, including uh, vast distances, which will limit capacity. Uh, but that now means all of Oregon is, is in at least phase one, and some counties are in phase two. Uh, so that should be good news to those people who like to sell beer or do sell beer on draft. <laughs> one thing that delayed Multnomah County's reopening was a recent spike in uh, cases in Oregon. Uh, many of those were out in Union County, uh, mm-hmm. which is eastern Oregon uh, and related to one uh, church that didn't 
suspend services as they were supposed to. Um, so tisk tisk. <laughs> but a big question that's been in my mind, and I think still in people's minds, is how much of the protests um, are causing transmission. And so far, it seems very little. Yeah, I'm not really that worried about the the protests here in Oregon, particularly uh, the ones that I have been to, I've been out a couple of times, had basically 100% compliance with masks. And I think given that outdoor mm-hmm. transmission is much less common than indoor transmission, particularly if you're wearing masks, I think, you know, here in Oregon, they may not be such a big deal. It's when, like that church, you get people without masks inside buildings that you have big troubles. Yeah. And singing and being right. very close. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. The, 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 uh, protest that I was involved in, there was uh, pretty much, you know, I failed to notice anyone actually without a mask. Yeah. So, uh, so good job, Oregon. Indeed. And, and just a little fun uh, jibber jabber from the home state. Uh, this, it was the way Kate Brown handled this was so bizarre. Uh, she announced at 7.15 p.m. on Thursday last week that she would not be opening uh, Multnomah County after uh, two weeks of uh, people expecting that to happen. So if you yes. had a bar or a restaurant, you uh, and if you planned to open, you had hired people back, you had purchased uh, food and gotten ready and cleaned yep. up the joint. Yep. And then um, with no time you know, to do anything about it. Uh, she, she put the nicks on that. And I have generally been in favor of how she's handled uh, the decisions she's made. I think she's, her decisions have been defensible and, and smart. And I think she's taken more heat uh, for those decisions than she should have. But man, she just goes out of her way to do the most politically damaging thing to herself. <laughs> yeah, I would agree. I think the decisions themselves have been uh, largely correct, but the process and particularly the the public process that she's going through is horribly managed. Yeah. Uh, She comes across as indecisive and um, uh, slow. Um, Yeah. So. And she costs businesses hundreds of thousands of dollars, uh, you know, in, in when they were stocking up for that weekend uh, for for no reason, you know, no, absolutely no reason. She, she knew this thing was coming. She, the, the numbers have been going up for weeks. So uh, this she did not need to wait until the last minute on Thursday evening. Yeah, so I guess we can we, we can we can say the decision has been a little bit suspect in the one sense that yes, the numbers were already going up. So to to wait until the literally the eleventh hour, I thought was um, uh, poor because it did leave lots of businesses in the lurch and who businesses that are really struggling have spent a bunch of money to open and weren't able to. And then uh, honestly, not much has changed in a week. Totally. Yeah, totally. And the state has been better about uh, ticking up the amount of uh, tests. And so we're seeing case numbers go up. But actually, death and hospital bed numbers are not going up, especially in Multnomah County. So it was not clear why the entire rest of the state would be open and Multnomah County would still, you know, not get to open. yeah. So and, that, that was and, all. And though I'm glad we're open now, it's not clear what has changed in a week that would change that decision. Because if it's right. just based on metrics, those metrics really haven't haven't changed fundamentally in a week. But anyway, let's just be glad that uh, it'll be opening up. And I, for one, it'll be interesting. I, for one, would have no problem going to a restaurant sitting outside. 
uh, I would think a little bit about sitting inside a restaurant, but as long as there was appropriate distance and good ventilation, I would probably feel pretty comfortable too. So it'll be exciting to actually try it out soon. It's been a while. Indeed. Yeah. We, Sally and I went to the coast over the weekend and stopped in at Public Coast uh, for a pint. Uh, this is in Clatsop County in mm-hmm. Cannon Beach. And I have to say it was a little weird being yeah. in a pub. Um, it was it was pouring rain at about 54 degrees. So uh, they have outdoor seating, but it was not, <laughs> nobody was taking advantage of that. Yeah. So we, we were inside and uh, there was there was about 50% compliance of mask wearing while people were up and wandering around buying beers and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't know. Uh, I've, I've come to regard humans as dangers, you know, which is a <laughs> kind of terrible thing. Uh, so I don't know. I don't know if it was unsafe or not, but it is interesting how, how much our spidey senses have been recalibrated. Yeah. How long did you spend in there? Two beers. Yeah. So I think, you know, I think that that's, you know, obviously that's a big part of it too, the length of exposure. So, I, you know, sitting down for a restaurant meal that takes a couple of hours right. um, is a bit different than going to a pub and having a beer or two and spending less than an hour, say, um, something like that. So, you know. Yeah. And they had these wonderful big booths. So we were ensconced in our own booth. So I think once we were sitting down, I was feeling fine. Yeah. But anyway, it'll be very interesting to see how the public reacts in general. Indeed. Next point. Uh, we also learned of a curious wrinkle in that acquisition deal AB InBev has uh, been trying to complete with Craft Brew Alliance. They are the parent company of Widmer and Kona Brewing. Mm-hmm. In order to remove regulatory roadblocks, CBA has proposed to spin off Kona Brewing's Hawaiian operations, including the new 100,000 barrel brewery under construction there. The buyer, a group called PV Brewing Partners, has settled on uh, a price of, a, of $16 million for those uh, that part of the business. Uh-huh. The principals of PV include former AB president Dave Peacock and oh. Kansas-based Vantage Partners, uh-huh. whose investments include the Kansas City Royals, as well as 260 quick-serve restaurants, include Dunkin' Donuts, or Dunkin', I guess they're called now, Taco Bell, and Jamba Juice. Uh, so, interesting. It's a, yeah, it's an interesting uh, group of people who are looking to buy the 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 Hawaiian enterprise and I don't have so much to say, except I know that that hundred thousand barrel brewery they're building, which has been under construction for years now. Is that uh, right? Is, yeah. Is that in Kona? Uh, it's in Kona. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's near the site of the current place. Right. Um, is an expensive state of the art facility that is cost, you know, it's costing a lot of money. Yeah. Uh, so getting a hold of that, um, Will be valuable, well, and I think they have a very large market share in Hawaii. And when you include it with all of the AB uh, products, that that they're worried about uh, antitrust concerns. Is that that's correct? yeah? Or that's you, how do you understand this? Yeah, that that is what they're concerned with, and apparently they have done it preemptively. I don't know that the feds have have, or at least the feds haven't made public comment on it. Um, this has been going on for. Uh, six months or something they've been negotiating so it's possible that that craft brew just thought it'd be safer to spin this off all right well let's uh turn to the main topic then and reveal what everyone's been waiting for the champion of the great oregon pilsner taste off what say you i think we should do that uh (laughs) we can just go ahead and go to the audio which is back to last week 
We'll listen to that and then we'll come back. We've had a week to settle on our decisions, uh, second guess ourselves and uh, just think in general about the experience. So we'll, we'll listen to the big reveal and then we'll come back and talk after that. How does that sound? Sounds good. Let's go. Okay. Uh, we are, uh, for, for all of you, it is uh, next week. For us, it's still, the, it's the finals round, which we have just concluded. Indeed. Uh, the truth is, uh, we're going to, you, are, you actually, because you listened to last week's podcast, you already know which beers have broken into the finals. But because we're recording this in real time, we don't actually know. We have no idea. We, we, um, we have one discovery, which we'll bring up when we get to the beers, uh, and which broke into the finals. Yep. Because that was a fascinating. Indeed. <laughs> fascinating little uh, wrinkle emerged. Uh, but we thought it would be cool to talk a little bit about the difference between a preliminary round uh, which we did last week and the final round. In a, in a preliminary round, it is often the case that uh, you begin to identify the beers that may have not thrilled you or be problematic in some way. Right. Uh, you, you talk through all the beers, you taste all the beers. It actually takes a while to get your bearings, and then uh, it's easier to pick apart the beers that have problems. Yeah, you kind of key on little faults you find, yeah. Yeah. And, and so that's how you get to beers that advance uh, in the preliminary round. And usually there's two or three, if you've got a flight of 10 or right. something, like we had nine, yeah. there's two or three that, that just fall below the cut. And then there's a middle group and then maybe a top group. And it's a little easier typically to send one forward. Um, once you get into the finals, uh, you should have, in, in this case, we had two preliminary rounds and we sent three beers forward. So we have six beers in the final. This is fairly typical uh, that you end up with uh, six or nine beers because you, you're, you've got... Uh, you, you're always sending three beers forward in the uh, Oregon Beer Award. That's often the case. So by the time you get to the finals, you're not looking for problematic beer. You know that these are good beers, and now your entire orientation about the beer shifts. Yeah. And you're thinking, you know, what? which one of these beers exhibits qualities <laughs> of excellence? Yeah, and I just want to make the disclaimer that none of the beers had any major flaws. Like, so when you talk about problematic beers, you're talking about maybe there's a little bit of uh, imbalance or something, something small. But yeah, these ones are all ones that we felt were pretty exceptional. That's right. And uh, on any given day, maybe we got old bottles. This is not a, a comment at all on the breweries. Uh, we might have gotten, you know, old beers. Uh, we might have been in a weird mood. Uh, right. Something might have, you know, who, who, it, it's impossible to say what happens. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and I mean, it, and, and this is not just a cop-out. The truth is, this is why beers don't win awards year after year after year, right? Like, if they were mm -hmm. literally, if they were objectively, literally, universally the best beer, they would always win. And that never happens yeah. because there's variability. So, uh, and, and certainly the case is there's variability when you're buying beers from the grocery store. You know, they're going to be anywhere from two weeks probably to uh, three months old. And that's really going to change things. Yeah, it can make a big difference. Yep. Um, we we uh, we learned that a beer that was oxidized in the second preliminary round last week, which we thought was Weinstefan, uh, was not, even though it was oxidized. So it was a local beer, um, yep. which we still don't know what it was. Uh, <laughs> we'll so you already <laughs> know, but <laughs> and that's not the brewery's fault, right? Like that just happened to be an old can or bottle that was at the grocery store. Yeah. Out. So uh, and and it was actually a great beer. So. Um, Whatever on a different day that that might be on the final table. 
Yeah. So speaking of Weistefan and the final table, so Weistefan was actually one of our finalists uh, that we did not identify as Weistefan. That's right. Uh, we we selected uh, both Urquell and Weistefan as, as beers that we thought should go to the finals, mm-hmm. uh, but they turned out to both be in the first round. That's right. So we went... To our credit, we correctly identified Urquell. So yes, that's right. Close to us, yeah. <laughs> we incorrectly identified Weinstefan. We thought we knew, because of the oxidization, we thought we knew what Weinstefan was and the other characteristics of the beer. But it was a beer that we really loved. It was you... a beer we really loved and made it into our finals. But we have eliminated it because this is the Oregon beer. It was a control. We didn't. So, uh, so it is not part of the final six. But, you know, Turns out those guys down in Bavaria know how to make a pilsner. <laughs> how to make a pilsner, not just <laughs> other beers. Yeah. Uh, and it and it traveled well. Yeah, apparently it I mean, really did. It, it was fresh and lovely, and didn't have any characteristics of aging. Or, so good, so well done. <laughs> yeah, and we we uh, we thought that it was a Czech style, uh, which is to our demerit i think uh we did but in any case uh we recognized that it had a fullness that that spoke to us of decoction and mm-hmm. that part we did get right yeah. so um uh, you, you know it's interesting you, you always are embarrassed when you go back and see what happens <laughs> uh, and then and then sometimes you're also you feel like well at least i i saw something essential about a beer yeah. and i think we did do that so, so uh, of excellent pilsners but we came down to a top six that's right we came down to the top six and Tasting through these beers, they're all fantastic, and I would, in a heartbeat, drink any of these. Oh beers. yeah, absolutely! This is splitting hairs time. <laughs> yes, total splitting hairs time, and is often the case. We ended up with four beers that we thought were in the should go in the top three. That's true. Yes, yes, and that's true. That's always the hardest thing because yeah. you know one beer. There's a big difference between third and fourth place. Yeah, uh, and suppose. So. Although this is the beer fauna show so who cares but <laughs> this is the most coveted beer award ever we should have like a little medal or a trophy or something a certificate i'll, I'll print something out okay, on the good, old computer good. yeah yeah you photoshop <laughs> something really quick Jeff. That'll be good. yeah clip art that's right straight out of the 90s <laughs> hey man we are both straight out of the 90s that's true All right uh, okay so let's talk about the finals yeah, let's. Um, Should we reveal these one through three, or how do you want to do this? No, let's. I think we should just go through and talk about the the, the merits of all these beers. Okay. And there's there's no demerits, right? So part yep. of this is it's a blend. What we chose is partly a blend of excellence and preference. Mm-hmm. And yep. so uh, I I feel confident that the the six beers in front of us are excellent beers. Yes, and absolutely. so you should. To drink all of these beers uh, because uh, my guess is any two people given these six beers you know you're gonna a, a wide variety of people are going to choose a wide variety of different number ones yeah, and i think that's a really important point which is these are all excellent beers your taste will differ uh you should you should sample these beers and decide which ones match your palate and your preferences jeff and i actually uh, strongly agreed on the on the on the number one as you'll find out but that has a very particular characteristic so You'll, That's right. you'll, you'll understand our biases <laughs> at the end. Um, so, yeah, so that's the fun of beer, right? Like there's lots of different flavor characteristics. There's lots of different palettes out there. Uh, so you should find your bliss. That's right. Find your bliss. 
that, that could be the motto for our show. <laughs> Find your bliss. So beer number one is a beautiful, perhaps the darkest beer. No, maybe not quite the darkest, but it's a beautiful golden beer. Uh, the folks at Pilsner Urquell would love uh, yep. the, the, the color. It's a gorgeous uh, uh Yeah, I'm not sure you're all together with me, but I said we could kind of pair these final six off. And I paired one with six because they were definitely Czech style, darker, more rustic, delightful. And it's it's um, absolutely perfectly clear. Beautiful oh, job. It's beautiful. Uh, it's a nice, wonderful beer. Nice brewing. Uh, and this is a beer that I actually have drunk a few times and really enjoy. When I go to the when I go to this brewery, this is always the beer that I have. <laughs> uh, which you know, I'm a Pilsner guy, and so I, I sometimes I'm slightly embarrassed about that. But I'm, <laughs> I'm pleased to see that we had this at the final table. It's, it's a great that's beer. It. It is uh, Berlix, uh, uh which I think is called Helsner, something like that. Yeah, it's a little bit confusing. It's called Helsner, which is confusing. Yeah, but it, it would it's be Ellis, but it's a Pilsner. That's right. It's a it's a proper Pilsner too. It's pretty darn bitter. Yeah, I think they the the, the name suggests that it's halfway between a Pilsner and a Helles, but it's really kind of a classic Czech Pilsner in my in my mind. Next one is four. Yeah. And this beer is, uh, I, this was one of our surprise beers. Yeah. This is really, it's, it's, I, I think the reason it didn't make our top three is it slightly kind of smacks you with the, the hop astringency. Let's just describe it. It's a paler beer. Again, uh, pretty darn clear, not exactly perfectly clear in, like some of the, uh, like, like three, for example, which we'll talk about later, uh, and, and, and six, um, but quite clear. It's more in that kind of, classic uh crushable crisp yeah like refreshing it's that kind of yeah i mean it made the top six for a reason it's a very well balanced beer but it's definitely kind of gives you a a real nice smack on the on the (laughs) in the face with the hop the hop yeah and this brewery is kind of known for their hops so it's not surprising that this was our big surprise this is terminal gravity's pilsner from enterprise oregon way to way to go folks they're well known for their ipas for their ipa yeah yeah and and their like uh, early ipa that was kind of famous and uh well regarded and not known for lagers kind of bitter hit you in the face uh, ipa uh yeah terminal gravity's pilsner top six way to go beer five beer five the beer that was on the bubble so we should be real, real real clear we we had a long debate about beer two and beer five right this is the the finest of hair splitting of all yeah. Uh, but beer five is lovely. It's a little cloudy. It's pretty cloudy. It's the cloudiest light. beer on the table by far. It's a, it's a little colored but cloudy beer. Has a real hop forward presentation. But not as hop forward as I associate with this beer. So I wonder if this, this, this it's possible. This, well, I don't know. Hop bitterness really re- yeah. lasts for a while. But what I loved about this beer and why it's in the top six is because it had this lovely floral very aromatic flavorful hot profile yeah i think it's delightful and it's uh it's also got uh some nice malt character uh which i would describe as let me taste it more in that that dry crust cracker continuum than the warm bread uh that you associate with with some hellases and that beer is uh that beer is the zorgel house pills 
are are, are uh, one of the one of the ones coming in when I I think you would probably agree with this coming in uh, eight, uh, eighteen beers. I I would have said that this would have been in my top three, and it yeah. almost was. Yeah, I all uh, yeah. I, uh, uh, we had a debate about this. I probably would have picked five ahead of the next one, but you know, it's again splitting hairs. Yeah. All right. So uh, uh, what we were debating is between this one and beer number uh, two. Two, which Ever. was our was which was our bronze medal winner. Yes. So so if we have to pick, I guess we would pick two. Although again, that's tough. <laughs> Give another day, another time. Yeah. And as we were distinguishing between the two, we 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 felt that the Zoyle uh, House was um, had uh, obviously more present hop character that was robust and lovely and we felt that the crux uh, which turned out to be uh, did we oh you just yeah you just sorry very yeah that's okay so number two was crux the crux pills so bronze metal to crux bronze metal crux from from ben oregon um really lovely it had uh a it, it has a very rich and creamy body uh mm-hmm. which was the thing that was distinctive in this beer that made us really uh, admire it and what actually ultimately made us choose it uh, because of those, those, the, the, the luxuriousness of those. Yeah. And malts. again, it's more sort of your preference than, than the quality of the beer. This one slightly has a slightly more richer mouthfeel, creamier mouthfeel and slightly less pop in the hops, but uh, Zoyal House is um, plenty. And it does have plenty of hop character. It's yes. also got a rich kind of, a full flavored hop character. It's, yeah, it's, it really uh, does. It's it's zesty. It's herbal. It's spicy. Yeah. It's kind of it has a lot of character. It's astounding. Yeah, it's really outstanding. All right, uh, silver medal. Silver medal. Metal. Oh boy. So um, I will confess that <laughs> uh, I believe I I believe I knew which beer this was in the preliminaries, and I believe I knew this what this beer was in the finals. I did not. And the reason I thought of this. Was for two reasons. One is this beer is super clear. It's extraordinarily clear. Bright, as bright gets. Yeah. I've never seen a beer this bright. I judged this beer at the Bitburger Challenge uh, uh-huh. last summer, and I suspected that it was this beer then, too, because it was by far the, the, the most clarion beer there. And I uh, thought, I, I only see. know one brewery that can make a beer this bright. <laughs> that and that, is? And that, and that cares as much to make a beer this bright. <laughs> But before I say that, I will say the other thing was this beer also has, and I and I know a lot of people in Oregon and and beyond Oregon drink this beer, so pay attention to this. It has the super characteristic flavor of Tettnanger hops, so yes. they taste a little bit like lemongrass, yep. kind of zingy, bright, a lot of top notes, uh, and they they're really distinctive. Uh, once you once you dial in Tettnangers, they're really easy to identify. They're yeah. even more easy to identify than Saws and Hollertal and some yeah. else. So this is Freem. Yeah, this is Freem. <laughs> Excellent. Astounding. Wonderful beer. Uh, as was Lego House and Crux. Crux, by the way, I, I also identify that lemongrass note as well. So I suspect there's a decent amount of Tettnanger in, in Crux as well, but we'll find out. That'll be, yeah, that'll be interesting. Yeah. We'll have to check I'll either be embarrassed or <laughs> shown us. Uh, okay, so our gold medal, our champion, Pilsner. Well, let's let's describe it first. It is the darkest at the table, I yeah. think. So this is actually a good point because we should really describe our bias. I mean, this really defines you and I have a similar uh, bias when we come when it comes to Pilsner. We really kind of skew to the check. Yeah, it's true. We kind of like the rustic, a little bit rough around the edges kind of Pilsner. 
But go Although ahead. The, the truth is we came to it honestly by drinking a bunch of German and a bunch of Czech yeah. Pilsners. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, but, there's something but it's hard about, for me to say that this is better than sort of more German styles, right? I mean, it's just different, but we, it's wonderful. Yeah, the top two beers are, I think, exemplars of the Czech school and the German school. Yeah. And so if you yeah. if you, if you like German lagers, uh, German Pilsners better, then definitely have the Freem. Because this thing is a little bit weird uh, in a way that <laughs> it's not as weird as Pilsner Urquell, but it is, it is angling in that direction. Yep. Um, and so it's very dark. Uh, it has the golden quality that I think the mm-hmm. people at Urquell would really admire. Uh, it's uh, very, bright, though. Very bright, yeah. yeah. But it has that golden quality, yeah. that just deep quality that's so beautiful. Um, I mean, the, all of these beers use the same the same single uh, malt, Pilsner malt, and yeah. so some version of Pilsner malt different, right. different from different suppliers. But um, the way that you get this uh, in Pilsner Urquell, and now that I know what this brewery is, <laughs> also in this brewery, is you decoct. So yes. that means pulling in the mash, pulling out part of the mash, putting it in a separate vessel, boiling it. Right. Uh, which creates melanoidins and darkens the malt, putting it back, pulling it out, putting it back. Right. Um, and then you Intensive, end up with it. expensive, but gets right. you that real rich characteristic of uh, Czech. Which we also noticed on the palate. It's very, uh-huh. it's very thick and, and, yeah. and luxurious in the mouthfeel. And on top of that, in a, in a, in a way that some of the Czech uh, Pilsners are, it's very hoppy. So <laughs> it's like, it's, a, it's sort of, it's the IPA lever to hops uh yes i mean I, I what i think what i described before we went back on the air is that it's sort of uh rough around the edges in both ways it's it's kind of kind of more sort of a rustic malt characteristic but also kind of a rustic hop characteristic so it's a little more in your face in both dimensions but delightfully so and that's i guess that's kind of what i would describe my palate I, it's a little less refined in some senses although almost requires more work and more refined brewing techniques but it comes across as kind of this more i don't know intense experience maybe well it's it's a it's a 19th century technique yeah. uh it's the way the bavarians brewed before they had uh thermometers literally before they had <laughs> thermometers um so it produces it and it's a remarkable technique because um before they had to, uh, thermometers they had to figure out a way to make a beer that would continue to produce consistently no matter how you know uh the way they the old bavarian brewers used to do it is they would put their elbow in the water and they could tell if it was too hot uh by putting their elbow in the water so very crude ways to figure this out but once you begin the decoction process it doesn't matter where you start out Mm -hmm. uh once you start pulling it off and boiling it putting it back in it reconciles very quickly so that it's very consistent over time and the, the consequence of that is that you get this deep golden color. Yeah. You get all these melanoidins, so it's very thick. Yep. And then in order to balance all that heaviness and that, that sweetness, you got to put a, you know, a, a freight load of uh, Saz hops oh, in there. It's on top, yeah. And yeah. then you get this character. It's beautiful. So we buried it first long enough. This is the Wayfinder CZAF. Dun, dun, dun. dun, dun. Pilsner, yes. Which I do believe a lot of people – in in oregon and um and and maybe even in the northwest have discovered and i think it is it is it is one of those one of the reasons we wanted to do this whole thing is because we felt that there were some uh pilsners that were just exceptional and two of them that always get mentioned are crux i mean are are, uh freem Freem and wayfinder Wayfinder. yeah so the one thing that we're going to talk about breweries that 
didn't make it, and, and also Zweigelhaus, uh, which is here on the table. Uh, one beer that I was surprised that we didn't make it, I'm, I'll I'll be interested to go back and see, is uh, Heater Allen. Yep. I expected, uh, and and actually, I thought uh, maybe the one that was Zoy- turned out to be Zoigelhaus was Heater Allen. So mm-hmm. that's interesting. You're never really sure. You're, yeah. They always instruct you not to guess, um, <laughs> and, and, and I tried not to. But in the in the case of Freeman, it just seemed like so yeah. Freemy. I had to guess, but I will say that you know we do have palettes that are um, you know attuned to sort of beers we like, I suppose. But uh, we the integrity of the blind test taste test was maintained through this whole process so yes these are breweries that we've we've uh, highlighted in the past but um uh this was not by design we we did a blind we did a yeah. blind we did a true blind until 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 my son simon revealed the true identity we had no idea so well well done so uh, uh reiterating first place was the wayfinder czaf uh which is the uh, uh, it's Czech AF. So if you go to the brewery, you might actually see Czech. Czech. Yeah, that's what you eat. <laughs> uh, the, the second place was the, the Freem Pilsner. Uh, delightful. Third place was Crux Pils. And fourth place was Zogelhaus. By a nose. By hair, yeah. yeah. You know, follow your bliss when you're when you're making these selections. All all of them excellent beers. In fact, I can say pretty confidently that all 16 Oregon Pilsners are pretty darn fantastic and and we were just talking as we were sort of in the interludes you know 10 years ago you'd have maybe a couple of good pilsners to choose from in oregon and the progress in terms of lagering in oregon and just the overall quality of the brewing in oregon has been phenomenal and kudos all yeah i i really think that's uh true and i you know if you're not living in oregon and you don't get to try these beers when you come to oregon definitely seek them out uh go to freem go to wayfinder uh go to go to bear like try places that respect loggers and make traditional classic loggers and see what we've got going on here because i think we're famous for uh our, our ipas our hoppy beers and rightly so but there are breweries who who are doing these and you know uh wayfinder one of wayfinder's uh, flagships is this Czech pill, pills. Yeah. Uh, good reason. <laughs> Freem's probably sells 10,000 barrels of their Pilsner. It's one of their two uh, flagship beers. I mean, these are breweries that, that are actually selling a lot of beer here. We we like Pilsner. Um, uh, we uh, there there is uh, we'll we'll get to in the mailbag to a question about why craft uh, Pilsners don't sell very well, and the truth is it's really patchy across the United States. You know, Czech Pills doesn't actually sell very well in Bend, even, for example. There's not actually, we didn't have so many breweries from Bend making uh, a lot of Pilsners. And if you go to breweries uh, uh, in Bend, as Patrick and I did last summer, uh, we didn't see very many uh, Pilsners. Yeah, that's right. But you, you come to Portland, Oregon, man, and they're everywhere. And, <laughs> and, and of course, we, uh, we had uh, Pilsners from basically all over the state, but, but they they are selling well in some places and in those places we're starting to see the accomplishment really rise and i think it was nice i'm glad i am really glad we threw the controls in there because uh we weren't certain we were a little bit certain about the uh urquell just because it's so weird but uh it, it wasn't like well these are two exceptional beers and then there's these other rudimentary things that are right. groping their way yeah. in quality toward Absolutely. toward this so, uh, and, no. and I'm, I, this is probably going to be the case in, in many parts of the country. Yeah. But I when you come to confident Portland, in saying these are world class prisoners. I think I think uh, yeah. I think the ones that we have in front of us certainly are. 
Yeah, absolutely. Cool. All right. Well, uh, we're going to uh, stop the tape here. Um, it will seem seamless to you as we come immediately <laughs> back after the break. Uh, but we're going to um, eat some pizza now because we've been judging a lot of uh, Pilsner. So we will see you after the break, which to you will seem like no time at all. All right. And there you have it. Uh, congratulations to Wayfinder, the okay. champ of the Great Oregon Pilsner Taste Off. Jeff, after a week, have you uh, any more sober thoughts? <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't know if I have more sober thoughts. I feel like uh, probably many people will uh, want to kill us because we didn't choose Freem, which I know a lot of people love. Um, when it was clear that uh, we were teetering on the edge of uh, just private preference there. And I think that also indicates kind of the capricious nature of these uh, competitions and how they go. Um, when we were sitting there, Sally had joined us and she, her favorite beer was the beer that turned out to be Zeugel House, which she called spectacular. So right. if uh, she had been judging this competition instead of me, uh, Zeugel House would have been in the top two for sure so anyway th those are those are some of the vagaries of competitions which i think we've in some ways just demonstrated so that's interesting what yeah you're a little more comfortable with that having had more experience uh i was having uh i was texting you because i was having doubts thinking that um how fair is it to sort of just because we you and i both love sort of the rustic czech pilsners uh that that then would determine the champion but of course it's our it's our competition. It's what we like. Uh, we didn't claim to be anything other than that. But I did I did make a pitch to you, and and I and I think in 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 essence it would be good to think about the results uh, where one and two were both fabulous pilsners in different styles, and uh, I love them both. And we we ended up just breaking on the style that we we both tend to kind of have a, a particular affinity for, but. Um, the Freem Pilsner is spectacular, and so is the Wayfinder, and both of them would be worthy champions, and it could have easily gone the other way, depend, depending on preferences. So, uh, And I'd also say the same thing for the third and fourth place beers. The Crux is an amazing Pilsner, and Zogelhaus is an amazing Pilsner, and uh, I think that both of them are worthy um, runners-up. Yeah, and, and I think those two beers um, are so close as to be, in terms of preference, as to be very difficult to distinguish uh in terms of like i think in a if we <laughs> in a different mood or you know, the slightest thing we might have we might have flipped those so there, there's really no difference but in in competitions you know that they always ask you to write something down on the judges sheet and you you don't ever get to waffle or or uh or do tie you can do ties but everybody's really irritated about that so i think we shouldn't <laughs> we're, I think we're good to avoid that that kind of business, despite the fact that um, at some point I'm going to have to talk to Alan Taylor, and uh, <laughs> uh, you yeah. know that'll that'll be a painful conversation. Sorry, yeah, Alan. House are very similar pilsners. I was, the hop note is slightly different in the two, yeah, um, and so is great. You know, I recommend that's a, that would be a great pairing if you're interested in kind of testing out the very subtle differences in exceptional pilsners, because it's very hard to kind of uh taste one in isolation and really and really appreciate the subtle differences that's one of the big takeaways i had from this is tasting them all side by side really let you think about the ways in which they differed and they're often very subtle and and for the crux and in, in zoigo house for me i would say the crux hop note is a little more sort of lemongrassy 
and uh, so I go house a little more floral, but they're both wonderful. Yeah, and I think those those subtle distinctions are something that actually pop more when you're doing a blind tasting. And I wrote a blog post about this, but I'll, I'll just repeat it and say, I think if you haven't done a blind tasting yourself, they're really easy to do. They don't take any special talent or, or insight. Um, and you can have a lot of fun with them. So, you know, go buy three or four of these things if you're just curious to see what happens when you're confronted with a glasses of beer and you don't have anything but the what your senses tell you. Um, you're actually likely to find more flavor and more surprise than if you just pour out a single glass, uh, beer in a glass, especially if you already know what that is. Yeah, it's true that there is, you know, you, you have this set of preconceived notions and sort of mental baggage when you know what you're pouring out. You sort of, you, you set yourself up for this certain expectation and that, and that, and that almost drives your experience, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, I think it, it, it reveals how much information we're taking from the label, past impressions of the brewery, uh, all kinds of things that uh, you don't have to rely on when you're just looking at a glass of Pilsner and nothing else. Yeah. And then, you know, I don't want to be too repetitive, but the, the other big takeaway I had was that all 16 of these Oregon Pilsners were really good. Uh, and we even threw in a couple that we had no prior experience with and even from brewers that aren't particularly known like for example i'll give one example is terminal gravity uh that ended up (laughs) um uh in our um final six and not only did i have no idea that they even made a pilsner but it would not have been my uh expectation going in so the state of oregon brewing is fantastic and and the number of exceptional pilsners is stunning i mean there wasn't a dud in the in the batch yeah i agree uh i i think um the while i agree with that i would also say that the six that we selected as the the finals really are worth seeking out and trying um i think that they have uh we when we set that up the 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 tasting we were looking for harmony uh character and kind of overall impression and these these six beers really demonstrated that in spades. And so uh, while I agree that we had we encountered no bad beers, we also did encounter some beers that I think were quite quite impressive. So yeah, it's a good point. I don't want to under undermine uh, our our process. I do think we identified six exceptional exceptional beers. So there you have it. So there you have it. Congratulations. Yeah, congratulations to the. To the finalists, all of you, and congratulations in particular to uh, Wayfinder. The uh, decocted Czech Pilsner is fabulous, amazing, uh, and and Freem's Pilsner is uh, almost equally amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we invite you to weigh in with your uh, with your impressions of our impressions. Uh, it's possible you won't all agree. So yeah, tell us why we're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> please do uh, but yeah go out seek some pilsners the, the weather is now warm uh it's perfect pilsner weather uh there are wonderful pilsners to be to be found but um i highly recommend these these four pilsners are are fantastic these six pilsners are fantastic even hey i have one final question which is um uh where do you think the weinstefan would have would have ended up if it if we hadn't uh ruled it out by technical default or whatever <laughs> by technical ko if it wasn't tko'd where 
what was your impression of the Weinstefan? Where do you think it would have ended up? We were hugely impressed with it when it was uh, in that first prelim. So, you know, I think <laughs> I think it would have been a contender. Yeah, my notes are super glowing. And um, it really is impressive how how it how it's traveled. It's in a bottle. It's coming from far away. And it's not from a brewery that I traditionally associate with Pilsner. So um, I thought it was amazing. So it's another thing to, uh, if you want to, if you want a little comparison, uh, the Urquell is a good one for Czech beers and the Weinstefan turned out to be uh, a good comparator too. Indeed. Yeah. 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 You've got mail. Let's go immediately. Since we're just talking about this, a Phil Brandt sent uh, two questions relevant to the tasting um, after we dropped our first pod. So let me just throw these two out. He says, pretty sure most cans and bottles are dated. And at the start, as you pointed out on ecliptic Vega IPA packaged beer flavor can fade over time. Uh, So in part two, can you include package dates for all entrants? Sorry, we can't fill those that ship has sailed. Um, Though I think with the exception of the, uh, the heater Allen, I didn't, I did not taste. uh, I think they were mostly pretty fresh. We, we, I purchased the ones that I got at a small new seasons, which I think had pretty good velocity. So Mm -hmm. uh, they, I think, I think they were, they were moving along pretty good. I don't, I don't have too many worries about that. Yeah. I think most of what I got was quite fresh. The one I was most worried about was the Weinstefan. And right. uh, I scoured the packaging and could not find, there are some codes on there, but not a clear date. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was disappointing. I was worried that I was going to enter a, a control beer that was, you know, oxidized, skunked, whatever, um, uh, but it was in fantastic shape. But I think for most of the Oregon Pilsners, I don't think there uh, is much of a worry. Um, one one interesting note is that I went around looking. I was trying to get everything in cans because I um, thought that would be uh, good. Not everything is available in cans. Um, one thing that is very generally widely available was the the Freem Pils, our runner-up, um, or our co-champion, however you want to think about it. <laughs> uh, sorry, runner-up. I should be – I, I got to be true to the competition – uh, and I couldn't find a, pill, uh, a Freem can to save my life. I did find a bottle of Freem, um, and it was in great shape. So, yep. yeah, uh, sorry, it's, uh, we did not keep track of the, of the dates, but we didn't notice anything. Right. Uh, it is a shame about the Heater Allen because the Heater Allen base beer was clearly, uh, you and I both like it in general, but to have it in there, there was clearly a fantastic base beer there, but um, it was slightly oxidized. So, uh, Yeah, I think there's a really good chance it would have been in the finals and, and uh, even – you know, maybe, maybe better than just the finals. So, um, yeah, you know, sometimes, uh, uh, sometimes life throws you curveballs, and we apologize to Heater Allen. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry that, uh, that happened, but yeah, I actually, uh, believe that it would have very likely ended up in the top six. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Phil's second question is since you are both Portland based and you have previously tried most, if not all of the 18 Pilsners, what effect if any, do you think the visual aspect had on your judgments? Meaning, even as you blind tasted, subconsciously you might have identified some of the entrants? Question mark. Oh, um, well, uh, certainly there's a difference between, uh, like the wayfinder uh, is darker, uh, definitely more Czech. That was similar to the Urquell and a couple of other beers. So we could kind of we have some hint. Um, but uh, for the general, I would not say that I had just by look 
I would not have too much idea, but yeah, you can kind of like some are some are hazier than some are bright, and we mentioned that as we went along. Yeah, I I, uh, I didn't actually. There there are a few beers that I'm I'm familiar with the their visual presentation. Three actually that jump out. Wayfinder is very dark, uh, and in general, check check if they're uh, decocted are going to be darker. So we were looking for a deeper color. Just this is not uh, insight into the particular beer, but just uh, the kind of beer uh, that yeah. tended to uh, point us in that direction. Um, I, I knew that uh, Zweigel House is a little hazy, so I was aware of that. Yeah. Uh, but it turns out there were a few beers that were hazy, so that didn't help. Um, and then I knew that the Freem is one of the brightest, clearest uh, beers on the market. Um, though there were a couple of beers that were, were at the same level of brightness. So that even that didn't help. So I would say, yeah. you know, it, there, sure, it's a little bit in your mind, but you have to be humble and recognize that uh, you, what, you, what you think you're looking at, you may not be looking at. Yeah, that's the thing. I was more worried about the opposite, perhaps, uh, than thinking I knew <laughs> what I was looking at. Crux is also one that has a very sophisticated filtering process and produces a very bright beer as well. Um, as we know, because we visited them. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it was possible to maybe sort of put them in certain categories, but you kind of do that by taste also, you know, a Czech Pilsner tastes like a Czech Pilsner. That's right. That's right. There's all, there's uh, so I, didn't, I don't think any, uh, either, either of us had any great confidence that we knew what we were, uh, looking at, uh, individually speaking. No. You know, you look at a, a slightly hazy one and you think this is probably not free. <laughs> Beyond that, uh, not so much. Yeah. And the other thing is, I mean, you, you take note, you know, I don't do this much. You probably have, you obviously have much more experience, but you probably have the same sense that uh, uh, you're so worried about trying to make sense of these 18 beers that you're taking note of everything. You're taking note of appearance and head and, and aroma and flavor and balance and mouthfeel and all that, that uh, pretty soon you, I was not at all worried about trying to figure out which is which and just thinking really hard about how this appeared to me and how it differed from the other beers, if you know what I mean. Totally. Yeah. And I think uh, a lot of times uh, this, they, they do this in the uh, Oregon Beer Awards. They say it's better. Don't talk about beers if you think you know what it is and it's better not to speculate. And I, I think that's just good advice in general. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of put that out of my mind. I was, I just was trying, hopefully, not to make a fool of myself. <laughs> I was worried that I wasn't going to be able to tell the difference uh, between a lot of them. But that's what's great about this, and you mentioned this before, is that uh, when you do this, you really do start sensing all of these subtle differences yeah. uh, that you might not otherwise do. So it's fun. It's a fun exercise. I recommend doing it at home. It's fun. Indeed. All right. Well, moving along on the uh, mailbag, I'm going to throw this one to you because we kind of discussed this, and you said you talked about a cool concept. So uh, John Urch from Bend, our friend John Urch, who's been on the podcast, writes, why do you think the sales of craft pilsners are declining? Bigger pilsners like Pivo from Firestone Walker, Victory Prima, et cetera, are in free fall. Most of the smaller brands, like everything you're tasting today, uh, he sent that last Thursday, are too small to measure, but as a national category, craft-made pilsner is way down. Um, and... I throw it to you because you offered a cool economic concept. Yeah, I was. I asked you if you knew sort of how long this trend has been like this because the first thought that came into my mind is that uh, there are more close substitutes to these beers. Um, 
and what I mean by that is there's a lot of like uh, mass market macro loggers that probably come in at a cheaper price point that are decent substitutes if you're a very price conscious consumer. And given the way the world is these days, people might start uh, being a little more uh, thrifty in their spending. And also they're buying packaged products. So they're probably choosing between, uh, you know, maybe a Pivo pills or just the you know, a mass market logger. Uh, and if it's a lot cheaper, they might just choose a mass market logger. So that's true of Pilsner's, but not so much true of, you know, a nice IPA or a big, you know, a, a, a hazy IPA or a big hoppy IPA. There isn't a lot of good substitutes out there that are coming from the big brewers. Um, so that was, that was my first thought. Uh, which is probably more intelligent than my thought, which, which is not super informed. And uh, it's just basically that I think maybe there's some regionality to this that the, the uh, Nielsen and IRI data don't pick up because yeah. um, uh, you know, here in, in Oregon uh, we have a few breweries that have Pilsners as their flagships uh, yeah. ones that we tasted, um, including Freem, which is a, now a pretty decently sized brewery. Uh, Breakside sells a lot of Pilsner, Crux uh, sells a lot of Pilsner, so uh, Zoigel House it's their flagship. You know, down down the Heater Allen is their flagship. So you're seeing some regionality, and the interesting thing, uh, the kind of contrast to that is, um, I was thinking about it, and it's interesting how even in in Oregon, uh, you see regionality because Bend does not, despite the fact that Crux made our finals, uh, doesn't have a ton of uh, Pilsners. Um, you know, there's Pilsners in Portland, and then there's Pilsners outside of Portland. But uh, Bend is does not seem to be a good Pilsner place. So I don't. I wonder if it's just partly regional. Yeah. Well, you've actually given me a second thought, which is also just dovetailing on my uh, previous thought. When I was talking about close substitutes, I was thinking of mass market loggers and how people might be doing that. But there's also true that there might be more of these little small local Pilsners that are starting to peel off market share from the big the bigger regional ones like oh, yeah. like the pills or the or the pivo pills yeah that's interesting it could be working both ways uh for example uh in portland we have so many that i don't know how, i don't know how much uh, people are buying the the out of market pilsners um and anecdotally i would say that the brewers that we talked to at least in my understanding that pilsners are selling pretty well in, in oregon so yeah rick allen in- interestingly so this came up on our our Facebook uh, page, which you can go to, uh, I invite you to check that out. But Rick Allen, uh, in response to John Urch, uh, wrote something that was sort of interesting uh, uh, related to this. And since we just had his beer, uh, let's let's hear what he had to say. Pills was our bestseller, roughly 70% of our production prior to the shutdown, but most of that was keg sales. We still sell more pill, pills than anything else, but it's all in cans. Can sales have tripled in the last few months. Frankly, we weren't expecting the demand to be that high, and it's been hard keeping up. The good news is that we've now had more time to brew other lagers as well, and we'd rather uh, have it be that way. So just a little bit of texture based on what the the whole coronavirus thing has done to sales uh, in one brewery. It's interesting. Yeah, and I think um, uh, that, you know, at least in this established market um, like Oregon, I don't. Uh, I would be surprised if Pilsner sort of 
started fading uh, heavily. I think they're here to stay and um, and will be a fixture for a long time. Yeah, I think certainly here in, in Portland, people have really developed a, a tooth for them. So, yeah. yeah. And then we have one more comment uh, from Sean Campbell, who uh, is at Beermongers, uh, one of the uh, uh, bottle shops and, and for, formerly uh, pubs <laughs> here in yeah. town. Um, and this is just interesting. I, um, I don't know how to answer it, so we're going to throw it out to you, maybe you the listener maybe, but it was an astute point and I wanted to pass it along. Mm-hmm. He writes, all restaurants, tap rooms, et cetera, uh, as uh, restaurants, tap rooms, et cetera, open up, uh, is there a glut of old draft beer that is going to be poured? What happened to all those kegs on draft uh, in Mar- March 16th when we all closed down? So these are out of the brewery's control, right? Like these sales have been made. And now uh, people are still sitting on a bunch of old beer. So the big question is, um, are restaurants going to try to sell that stuff? Because it's going to be pretty long in the tooth. And I don't know that this is answerable, but it's a wonderful question and kind of makes me scratch my chin. Well, I have an answer. All right. (laughs) I think the bad places will try to sell it and the good places will not. Uh Aha. That's as much as a commentary as an answer, right? Like, uh uh, if you have an old keg, you can try it and see if the beer is fresh, If, uh, but be honest about whether it's reasonable to serve or not. I don't know how much the distributors are going to get involved if they'll, if they'll sort of trade out kegs, um, uh, or at least at maybe at a discount or something. I would like to think that, that something will happen because, uh, um, yeah, that, that beer is pretty old now, and if it hasn't been stored well, it's really old. <laughs> That's right. Uh, although I would say that it, you know a well stored keg, uh, probably a well a well a well uh, prepped and filled keg that's been stored properly for three months is probably still in pretty good uh, fit fiddle. Yeah, that's right. That's especially uh, you know if you you've got a hazy IPA, it's probably not not quite as sharp as it was. But there are other styles that will uh, age better and be doing better. So, yeah, I think yeah, it'll be interesting. We're about to find out. And some of you live in places that have already reopened. And if you could give us a report about what you've been encountering or if you have any insight, uh, if we talk to people, that would be great to hear. Yeah. And I'd also say that if you're a, if you're a, a, a knowledgeable beer person and you're getting served a, a beer that's clearly past its prime, uh, you should speak up. Um, that's definitely right hard for restaurants but they should at least know that that's being noticed (laughs) that's right Uh, absolutely um yeah i i usually try to to do that if uh i i think something's wrong in this case i mean it it could be especially at restaurants that they don't really they're not super aware of uh, of of beers uh, yeah exactly so i i've sort of called out good and bad restaurants but there are people who just you know who aren't that in tune and might not really un- know that they're serving a, a beer that's um, uh, oxidized or otherwise old. And, right. Um, they might be- appreciate that. Indeed. Okay. Well, uh, that then uh, concludes our uh, great Oregon Pilsner taste off double episodes. <laughs> so uh, congratulations, Jeff. Job well done. And you too, Patrick. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, a few words going out. Please subscribe on Apple, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's you. 
Oh, no, sorry. Don't forget to rate us. Five stars, please. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. Uh, That helps other listeners find the show. We'd love to hear from you. So please send us your questions or comments to jeff at beervanablog.com or on Twitter at beervanapod. You can also go to the Beervana blog Facebook page, as he's just been quoting, just just been quoting from. And Jeff tweets at Beervana. And Patrick tweets at Beeronomics. That's right. Um, I have nothing to cheer you with. I know. I we uh, Last week. We're just kind of doing a little uh, second half of this, and we don't have all our Pilsners on hand. So I guess... <laughs> We'll just we'll just dream of pilsners as we as we say cheers. Yeah, I can cheers you with the memory of of one of our top pilsners. So I will I will mentally cheers you with the uh, the wayfinder. There you go. Uh, I will mentally cheers you uh, with the memory of the Freem. Then our other uh-huh. stellar, lovely beer. Yeah, and uh, it's making me thirsty. So um, it's a nice hot evening. So I think I still have a lot of pilsners left over. So I'm lucky. Yeah, me too. I still have uh, a number of those, and I'm going to go grab one probably in the next hour. So fantastic. (laughs) All right, Jeff. Cheers. All right, Patrick. Cheers to you. X-Ray.